If you've got a Bible or if you found one, turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to consider some things here. First of all, I'd like to thank again the elders for asking me to take time to study God's Word and to try to share it with you. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll be impressed or blessed by this as, as we consider God's Word. You ever been confused? You spend a lot of time being confused? You ever thought about a pizza? comes in a square box and yet it's round and you cut into triangles. I mean, how do you make sense out of that? Uh, there was a young man on a college campus and he walked around every day with a t-shirt that had a big K on it. Somebody said, what does the K mean? He said, oh, it means I'm confused. They said, don't you know that confused starts with a C? Yeah, see, see how bad I am? <laughs> I'm just really messed up. Uh, sometimes we get confused about days of the week. Those of us that are retired probably struggle with that more than the rest of you. Um, another story, a lady sent a, a note to, to her daughter's school teacher explaining why her daughter missed school the day before. She said, well, on Sunday we forgot to go out and get the newspaper. On Monday we got the newspaper, and the newspaper said it was Sunday, so we missed school yesterday. <laughs> Uh, so please excuse Maggie. Uh, we get confused about a lot of things. So much in our current society bombards us. So much information. So much that you wonder if it's true or false. And it's hard to know. And so we try to sort through our brains. We try to figure out how to not be over, overwhelmed and how to be conflicted. And sometimes we just draw a blank in, in our minds on a lot of things. But we have a lot of influences that bombard us. Social media, talking heads on TV, and God's Word. And there's a conflict there, isn't there, most of the time? And we try to recognize it, but we struggle at times. Uh, scripture tells us, Paul in writing, uh, if you've got Philippians chapter 1, you can look it over to Ephesians on the previous page, chapter 6, and we're told this. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that's not what we struggle against. We don't struggle against our flesh and our blood, but we do struggle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. There's a battle today for our minds. And if we're not careful, if we can't figure it out, we're going to be influenced in a lot of bad, bad ways. There's a struggle for our mind. So I want to look at God's Word today and see what He says about our mind, see if we can get some guidance and direction about how we need to think, about how we need to understand life, how we need to approach life, and how we may need to make decisions in life. Um, I keep taking you away from Philippians. We'll get there in a minute. But in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says this, the man without the Spirit does not accept things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth saying, people that do not have the Spirit of God, people that are not believers, people that are not Christians, don't understand anything about us. They don't understand anything we're talking about, thinking about, or, or spreading the news of the gospel. They don't understand that. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord 
that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. You ever thought about that? As a believer, if you're here today as a Christian, as someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we don't need to be confused. We have the mind of Christ. What that tells me is I can think like Jesus would think. So as I approach my day, as I approach my life, as I approach situations around me, I don't need to be confused. I can think like Jesus would think. In Philippians, look at chapter 2. My Bible has King James and NIV. I'm partial to one, but I'll try to stick to the one that you probably got in front of you. Um, verse 5, and I am reading this from the King James. He, the same writer, Paul, who wrote to the Corinthians and said, you have the mind of Christ. He writes to the Philippians and said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, we can have the mind of Christ. To the Corinthians, he said, you've got the mind. To the Philippians, I think he's saying, use the mind. Let it be in you. Let it be active in your daily life as you think through Christ and th think through how to live. So this is what I want to talk about today, having the mind of Christ. And we get a lot of this out of Philippians. Um, first couple of verses in Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Overseers can mean elders um, or bishops. So he's writing to a church, and this, this is just background information that lets us know and understand about this church. He's writing to a church that has saints, in Christ Jesus. A saint is a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And this church has grown to the point it's got overseers, it's got, it's got elders, it's got deacons. It's functioning as a New Testament church should function. A little background, if you go back to Acts, and we won't, but Acts chapter 16 explains that Paul was on his second missionary journey. He was with a man called Silas, and they were moving through different countries, different cities, different places. Um, and they came to sort of a stopping point. And they weren't sure where they were supposed to go. The Lord had told Paul, you don't go into Asia and preach. And so all of a sudden one night, he, he has this vision. A man from Macedonia. Macedonia was over at the tip of Europe. And Paul was called by this man to come to Macedonia. And so he and Silas, and later we showed that uh, Timothy was with them, and Luke joined them, and they go over the first entrance into Europe to spread the gospel. And so that's what they're doing. They go over, and he's told, You're, a man of Macedonia is calling you to come to, to Philippi. He goes there, and he doesn't find a synagogue. He doesn't find the normal places he's used to going and, and sharing the gospel. So he goes out on the countryside and he finds a group of women that are meeting for prayer. I'd never thought about it before, but his vision said a man from Macedonia. And he goes over there and he doesn't find a man. <laughs> he finds women gathered. And he goes and he begins to teach with them. And there was a lady in there named Lydia. She was a businesswoman from Thyatira. 
She sold cloth, and it was purple cloth and obviously valuable. And uh, She knew about God. She was there to worship God, but she didn't know about Jesus Christ. And Paul begins to teach, and she begins to understand, and she accepts Jesus Christ as her Savior. She and her family were baptized, invited Paul to come in and stay with them. She was the first convert in Europe. And many of us have heritage that goes back into Europe, and we can trace it back to starting here maybe with Lydia. Well, then uh, Paul and Silas move around, and they, there's a little girl with a demon that's being used to make money for her owners, and they cast the demon out, and the owners get mad, and they put them in jail, and, and they beat them, and while Paul and Silas are in jail, uh, they're in there singing, and then there's an earthquake, and all the doors are opened, and the jailer expects everybody to break loose and leave, and he's going to kill himself because that's his job is to keep them there. And Paul calls out to him and says, no, we're still here, we're still here. And shortly after that, he says, what, what do I do to get saved? And so they lead him to Christ, he and his family. That's the foundation of this church at Philippi. Is that how you'd start a church? A, a, a lady that's a, a seller of purple and, and a jailer that's got criminals all around him? But this church started there, and it grew and as time passed, Paul is now who's in jail, writes to them, and now he, he says, you've got elders and, and, and deacons. This is a church that has grown and has followed New Testament principles. That's the kind of church you need to be a part of. That's the kind of church we seek to be here at Stony Brook. So that's what's going on here with this group of people. And so there's a lot of themes throughout Philippians. One is about rejoicing and having joy. You can see it follows it all the way through. Um, one of the biggest influences in my life was a Sunday school teacher, and he always said these letters always have a key verse. They always have a key theme. And he chose chapter 20, uh, verse 21 out of chapter 1, where Paul writes, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says that's the real theme of Corinthians because Paul's writing to them about their daily experience what it's like to live life as a Christian, as a believer in a world that is ungodly. What's, what is it like to have a Christian experience? So that's another theme. But as you can tell already, the theme I've picked out and the theme that I think I can prove follows through here pretty much is having the mind of Christ. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ in our daily lives? So we're going to look through and move through chapter 1. Uh, hopefully we'll get through it all today, trying to pay attention to what does it mean for you and me to think like Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us to have the mind of Christ? There's key words throughout here. You see think, to know, knowledge, to understand, to approve, to remember. All of these are words that relate to the mind, right? That's how we think, we remember, we approve. It comes out of our mind. It's the key point. So the first thing that stands out to me in, ch in chapter 1 is we're to have the mind, our mind in prayer. We're going to read verses 3 through 11. If you'll follow along, I am trying to read the, the NIV. <laughs> I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. The first thing Paul does is he demonstrates that he's got a prayer life. He shares with them, I want you to understand that I pray for you. Do you ever move through your day wondering if anybody's praying for you? Hoping somebody's praying for you? I mean, we think our spouse is, hopefully, praying that we'll do better and get things done the way we're supposed to. Uh, but hopefully our spouse is praying for us. Maybe our kids, we hope. You know, we, we prayed for my granddaughter last week at camp every day. We sent her cards, we did everything, and, and had a great response from her. So he had a mind that prays. I think we would have to agree that Paul had the mind of Christ because Christ used him to write all these letters. And so he's sharing with this church at Philippi that I've got a mind that prays. Jesus Christ prayed constantly, setting us an example. Paul's writing about it. So I think we can agree to have the mind of Christ is to have a mind that prays. He reveals his mind. He says, you know, I thank God every time I remember you. I thought that was kind of random because how often do you remember me? I mean, you know, if you pray for me once every six years, I mean, I'd like you to do more than that. I, I try to pray for you more than once every six years. He's saying, but you know, when I remember you, I pray for you. But then he explains it more in verse four. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So what Paul's telling them is, I pray for you all the time, not just some of the time. I pray for you all the time. You know, when my parents passed away, I lost people that I knew was praying for me. We've got a lady that we used to go to church with in Kernersville. She's now at a Pittsburgh Christian village. She's bedridden, can't get out of bed. She spends her days in prayer. And she tells us every time we see her, I pray for you, Chuck. I pray for you, Kathy. I pray for Philip. I pray for Melissa. I pray for the kids, the grandkids. So we know some people are praying for us. He's saying, I pray for you every time I remember you, and I remember you every time that I pray, always in every prayer. He reveals his mind, and I think he sets a pattern for us in our prayer life. He's consistent every time. Do we have a prayer life that we're consistent in? And, and maybe it's not praying for the same people all the time, but do we have prayer time in which we're consistent? I confess to you, as an old retired guy, I, it, it's easier for me to find time to pray, okay? I got time. I don't really have to do anything I don't want to do. And so I can find time to pray. I can find time to study. But I remember back when, man, I was in the middle of trying to work and raise kids and do a family and all that and get up and be a runner and do all, you know, I mean, I, 
I prayed when I ran. I hope that counts. Uh, but it, it was hard to find time. And I know some of you struggle with, how do I carve out time to have a prayer life? But he did. He was consistent. In verse 3, he says, I thank my God. He was thankful. When we pray, we need to be thankful. Mostly we go with the request part of prayer, right? We, we, we have things we ask for and we want and we need it now. And uh, he says it's okay to have requests. Chapter 4, verse 6, he says, in, in all things give thanks. Um, and it's okay to make requests. So requests need to be a part of it. And certainly requests are a part of this. We see it in, in verses 8 through 11. He does pray specifically. That's a good, we, we need to pray specifically. Not just, you know, I pray for this person, this person, this person. But, but we need to pray specifically. And then he brings worship into it. The end of verse 11, to the glory of and praise of God. Paul had a mind to pray. Paul had the mind of Christ. You and I have the mind of Christ. We need to have a mind that prays. Secondly, the thing that stood out to me is he, he, he focuses on our mind and partnership. Look what he says in verse 4. Uh, I always pray with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. So, Paul's focused on praying, and he's focused on having a partnership. Another word for partnership is fellowship. My old teacher used to say, fellowship can be defined simply as two fellows in a ship. Well... I don't think two fellows can do a big ship, but maybe a little boat. And, and when you're in there, just two of you trying to make it go and move and do everything right, you're working in harmony. You've you got to be on the same page. If one guy's trying to row this way and another guy's trying to row this way, you just go around in circles or you don't go anywhere. He's saying, I want to be in partnership with you. I want to be of the same mind with you. And so he points out several things. The Bible word is koinonia, which means having something in common. It means having a unity of spirit. It comes from having shared beliefs, shared convictions, and shared behaviors. It's been a couple of months, I guess now, since Joe was leading us on Wednesday night in 1 Corinthians. Uh, in chapter 1, it talks about speaking the same things, having no divisions, being joined together with the same mind, the question was asked, how can that work when we're all so different? How can that work when we're all so different? And we are different, right, in a lot of ways? It's hard for me to partner with you if you come and sit at my table and start talking about Duke basketball. I mean, I, it just doesn't work. I just can't stand it. I, I'll have to leave. I don't like Coach K. Never did. Didn't think he was a great coach. We just don't have that. What about if you sit down and talk, trying to talk to somebody about politics? How does that work? Our daughter shuts us down. Everything she thinks is political, and she doesn't want to talk to us about it because we don't seem to be on the same page. It's hard to have fellowship. It's hard to have partnerships. Uh, school choices. Some people think you should do this, and some think you can do this. and it, it, It's hard to bring together and have the minds. Uh, parenting styles. I got one kid that I think parents pretty well, and then we got another we struggle with. And it's like, again, it's hard to talk about. We have a lot of things that separate us. So how do we come together with like minds? The only way we can do that is to focus on Jesus Christ, 
His Word, and the Spirit of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He says, Paul writing, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one Spirit and purpose. Paul says we can be like-minded, and the way we do it is we don't focus on those things that are different. We focus on the things we've got in common. And what we've got in common, if we're believers, is Jesus Christ and his work and the things he wants us to do. Paul points out four th three things, I think. He, he, in verse uh, 5, he talks about focusing and fellowship in the gospel. We should all be sharing the gospel. We should be able to come together and talk about who we've shared the gospel with this week, who we've tried to influence. He talks about sharing and having fellowship in the gospel. And then he talks about having fellowship and growth. And in verse 6, he talks about being confident that who's started a good work in us is going to continue it. So there's progress there. There's growth there. We can talk about how we're growing things at, at, at Stony Brook. We've gone through a lot of transition. Where are we going to go from here? These are things we can come together and talk about. You know, the plea to help in the youth, the plea to help when Lance comes and adapts and adjusts and all that, uh, how to reach the community for Jesus Christ. That's what it is for us to grow, and those are things we can fellowship and have in common. And then he focuses on the grace of God in verse 7. Uh, he talks about uh, all of you sharing God's grace with me. The mind of Christ is a mind of partnership. I think we have pretty good partnership and fellowship here, but each of us needs to figure out how we contribute and what we do, because this is the mind of Christ to be in partnership or fellowship. Thirdly, he points out our mind in progress, verses 8 through 11. Uh, he says, and this is my prayer, and he points out four things that he prays for them specifically. This is my prayer, that your love may abound. That's progress, right? Your love may abound. It may get more and more and more, conforming more and more and more to the image of Christ. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's a consistent letter writer. He writes several themes that, through a lot of his letters. But here he says, I want you to grow in progress as a believer. I want you to have a mind that thinks about that. Do you ever think about, am I making progress as a believer? A am I more effective as a Christian today than I was two years ago? Am I making progress? And he points out four things, four actions. First of all, that love may abound and grow. Love is an interesting concept. We know what the Bible says about love, but yet we're constantly challenged by the world as a world who is ungodly, doesn't have the Spirit of God, doesn't understand anything about what we're doing they try to tell us what love is. Don't you hear that? Oh, you're, 
God says you've got to love everybody. You're supposed to love everybody. You're not loving me. You're hating on me. You're, you're not doing what God wants you to do. Well, that's, not, that's not right. The world doesn't get to tell us what the love of God is. The love of God is, yes, I want everybody to come to know me. I want everybody to accept Jesus Christ. But I only accept you if you believe in me and you take my offer of salvation. There are churches that are dividing today because some churches won't accept everybody. You come in, we approve you, you're good, you're a part of us. Oh, you haven't repented? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll move past that. We're not worried about that. We're just going to love you. We're just going to love you. That's not what God's love is. Um, I've shared it before. You probably read about it. Amy Grant, Christian singer. She owns a farm somewhere in Kentucky, I think. She was so proud that she was having a wedding with two brides. One was a cousin or something. Anyway, two women getting married, and she allowed it to take place in her farm. And she took a lot of slack, a lot of feedback, a lot of negativity from the Christian community. And she said this, she said, there's only two commands that matter. Love God, love others. That's all that matters. But Jesus said that. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors as yourself. God says we're to love all those people. But that's not all there is to it. The Gospels share with us the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he had 23 other books and letters written that put, as Joe likes to say, he put guardrails around what we're talking about. We're to love as God loves. Real love coming from you and me is to show folks that God does not accept sin. God does not approve of sin, and God does not accept anybody that doesn't become a believer and a follower of him and repent from sin. So if we really love somebody, we're going to point them to Jesus Christ. We're going to help them understand they need to turn from their sin, and they need to be accepted by Jesus Christ once they do. That's what, love, that's what abounding in love really means, is to have the full knowledge of the love of Christ. It means I, I love everybody. I only accept those who come to know me as Lord and Savior. So after telling them to abound in love, he says, approve things that are excellent. Approve things that are excellent. In this country, we used to have a grasp on what that was like, right? You achieve, you try, you win, you get a trophy, you get recognition. If you achieve and you try and you don't win, you don't get a trophy. But nowadays, everybody gets something, right? We give everybody. It's not about being the best anymore. It's about all of us need to have the same outcome. Kathy and I attended a swim meet this past week in Greensboro, four hours drive time to see two little kids swimming up and down a pool. But it was, it was a good experience. Our grandson, he won a heat. He was as shocked as the rest of us were. <laughs> he got to the wall and he started looking around to see what place he came in and there was nobody there yet. He, he was shocked. So, and, and he got a little card that said he was a heat winner. So he did the best and he got rewarded for it. 
Our little granddaughter, she's five. She's five. These teams, you have to play so many people in so many heats. Anyway, they didn't have enough to go in the seven and eight group. And so they signed Catherine up to swim. Okay, this is her first year trying to swim. She won't practice, and her mother won't make her practice. They show up, and she says, no, water's too cold, don't want to swim. So everybody's practicing, and she's sitting over there. But they choose her to swim in the seven- and eight-year-old category, okay? They blow the whistle, and everybody jumps, and she's sitting there trying to get herself ready. And so finally she goes in the water, and she swims. She can do five or six strokes, but she doesn't know how to breathe. So she has to stop and come up and breathe, and then go back in five or six strokes. So she's swimming and stopping and swimming and stopping. You know, two minutes after everybody else is finished, Catherine gets to the wall, and her first question, do I get a ribbon? <laughs> do I get a ribbon for coming in last? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, she did her best. I get that. She was in the wrong age group. I get that. But it shows our society is everybody gets a ribbon. It doesn't matter. And that's not what he says. He says, approve that which is excellent. We don't need to be focused on let's just do it so we can check it off and say we did it. He wants them to be excellent and to have understanding. Um, and, you know, back in love, I, I should have said this. You know, he wants them to have knowledge and discernment. That's what showing real love is. And now he wants them to have, um, have uh, I'm sorry, to discern what is best. He, and, and the third thing, he wants them to be, to be blameless. All that means for us is that we confess our sins when we commit them. And we move on. We abound. We make progress. We get more and more righteous because we're aware of what God wants us to do. And then lastly, he wants us to, he wants us to be filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. So Paul prays specifically, specifically, that these people will have a mind that progresses. It's a challenge for you and me. Are we growing in Christ? Are we making progress? Are we more God-like today than we were in the past? And I know it comes and goes and we have challenges, but that's what the mind is. We have a mind that makes progress. Next in verses 12 through 18, a mind that makes proclamation. It says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers of the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul's desire is that the gospel be proclaimed to the world around. His mind is focused on, I want to make sure the gospel is being proclaimed. He's in a tough situation. He is a man, man that is gifted and talented and has a history of sharing the gospel, and yet now he's in prison. He's in chains. 
What does he do? He continues to share the gospel. The prison guards hear him talk. And they begin to spread the word. And others who are outside but know that Paul's in there confined, they say, well, if he can't spread the gospel, we're going to step up and spread the gospel. There was a mind to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, some did it for the wrong reason. They thought if we spread the gospel, they're going to point it back to Paul, and that's going to bring more punishment on him because they're going to know he started all this. So some did it for the wrong reasons. Others did it for the right reasons. And what does Paul say? I don't care how it's done. I just want the gospel to be spread. The challenge for you and me, you know, I say stuff over and over, and you may get tired of it, but it's the only way you remember stuff. But you and I have been placed in specific places in our lives. And we may be the only person that knows the gospel that crosses the path of those people we work with, the people in our neighborhoods, the people I play golf with, the people you run into in the store. We have the gospel message, and we need to be willing to proclaim it and to share it. Paul did that, and he was thrilled that the gospel was preached. The mind of Christ is a mind that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And finally, we need to have a mind that perseveres. I'm not going to take time. We're running out of time. Verses 19 through 30. But do look at one. Um, verse 27, he writes, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Paul knew what it was like to be opposed, and yet he persevered. He continued on. He kept moving forward. He kept doing what he knew he should do, and he stood firm. Folks, we live in a time in a society where we need to stand firm for the word of God and the truth of God. So much stuff going on, it drives me bonkers to read and to hear all the stuff that's going on in our society. We need to stand firm. Fortunately, I'm seeing a slight turn in our society that people are standing firm. They're saying we're not going to keep putting up with some of this stuff. But Paul's saying, you know, we need to persevere as Christians. We're going to be conflicted. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be told we're wrong. They're going to try to cancel us. He says, stand firm. Conduct yourselves in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's having the mind of Christ, isn't it? We get up each day, and we think, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to stand for Christ. I'm going to stand for the gospel of Christ. I'm going to let my conduct be that which honors him. He told the Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. He's telling the folks in Philippi, use it. Use the mind of Christ. That's the challenge I want to leave with us today. As we go from here, we don't have to be confused. We don't have to be conflicted. We don't have to put up with being bombarded by all this mess. Just shut it out of your life if it's, if it's confusing you. We need to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. It's a mind that's in prayer. It's a mind that's in partnership. 
It's a mind that's in progress. It's a mind that proclaims. And it's a mind that perseveres. May it be so for his name's sake. Our Father God, we come and praise you and thank you for your word, for the clarity of it. Father, I stand amazed that you would give us the mind of Jesus Christ. You would let us think as we move through our days the way he would want us to think and the way he would direct our path and the way he would give us guidance. And so we praise you for that. We praise you for the word. We praise you for Paul and even from prison as he's writing these things that touch our lives so many, many years later. And Father, I just ask that for each of us here that are believers, that we will have the mind of Christ. And Lord, I ask for any that are here without Jesus Christ, any that are hearing us on Facebook, that they'll come to realize the reason they're confused is because they don't have the Spirit of God. And He's available today. And I pray that souls will be saved and that lives will be changed and that you'll bring them into fellowship and that we can be partnered with them and we can love them. We give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.